0: As we continue our series through the book of James, we come to two verses this morning that serve as a, a summary and of, of a passage before it, and then also kind of a, an outline for the rest of the book. So these two verses are very important, and I um, pray that it nourishes all of our souls this morning. James 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let us pray. Father, we pause because... We need you, by your Spirit, to take this passage of Scripture and impress it upon our lives. We need to be changed as a result of looking at this text of Scripture. I pray that I would communicate only what is faithful to the text. I pray that we would receive from you what you want us to learn From this text, so we praise you for this word, this book that we have. In a spirit of thankfulness, in a a spirit of anticipation, we pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen. As I mentioned before, what James is doing here in these two verses is he's kind of providing a a summary statement, if you will of what has what he's just talked about and he's also using this as a bridge or as an introduction into what he will talk about for the rest of the book. So it's a really interesting text that we have before us. And in these two verses I do believe we have three marks of authentic christianity that is before us this morning. And you know we can We can claim to be something, we can look the part, we can act the part, but we can actually in fact not be whatever it is that we are claiming to be. Earlier I jokingly talked about shooting a gun and hitting some targets, but for those of you who know me, the fact that I got lucky and hit a few clay pigeons does not make me an authentic hunter, right? Right? I've never hunted in my life. I, I, I don't know anything about it. I I uh, you know I I don't know what I would do if I was uh, if I was hunting. Um, but the fact that I happen to fire a gun and maybe come close to hitting a target does not make me the authentic hunter or the authentic marksman that many of you are. And so it's the same in the in the Christian life as sometimes we can. We can put on a front, or we can we can know what things we should be saying, or what the correct answer is, or or we have the language down of the Christian. We know that when people say something or they share a burden with us, we're supposed to then say, "Well, I'll pray for you." But well, do we then pray for them? And so it, it's possible. What I think James is getting us to 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 to, to focus on. To, in this text, and I believe that we should be thinking about right now, is that it's possible that we can have the language down or we can have the, the, the outward appearance, but inside it's not the authentic reality of being a Christian. And I don't know that James is trying to get people to question whether or not they're truly saved or not, because he's writing to a group of people called brothers, and so he's saying that they're, they're, they're believers. And it may be true that we have people gathered here today that to think that they're a Christian and they're really not. But I think the, the main emphasis here is what he's trying to say: is he's trying to say, if you truly are a Christian, then you need to act like it, and you need to live like it. And, and what he does here is he builds off of verse 18. So let me draw your attention back to verse 18. He says, Of his own will, okay, who's he talking about? verse 17 that comes from the father of lights okay so he's talking about the father of the father's own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures a couple of weeks ago we looked at this verse but this is the nature of the father now in your outline there in your in your bulletin there you see a a a table there there's three truths of the father First of all, his spontaneous care for the helpless, that he, he of his own will, this was what he did. He came to help us. And so he was helping the helpless here and it was the word of truth there, and then for the purpose of holiness, okay, that we should be kind of first fruits of his creatures, okay, so that we should reflect him. So we have these three truths about the Father here. Now, what James does here in verses 26 and 27 is he looks back to this verse saying that we should mimic the Father. And so you see there, the and I color-coded it for you so you can see how it goes in your notes there. But a, a controlled, and I think we have it on the screen too, so you can go ahead and put it on the screen. Um, if it's there, if it's not there, then there it is. Okay, so you see it color-coded. There is, we have a, a controlled tongue, a caring ministry, and a consecrated life. Those are the three points for our, our sermon this morning. And you can see how they relate to the three truths about the Father. And so, his spontaneous care for the helpless, that connects to a caring ministry. And then, his word of truth that has the idea of being connected to a controlled tongue, his purpose of holiness or a consecrated life, which we will look at here in verses 26 and 27. So, the point I'm trying to make here is that what, what James is asking us to do in verses 26 and 27 he says, Be like the Father, be like God. He is our example. He is the one that we should try to imitate, and and really Christ, okay? Because Christ is the the exact imprint or the visible manifestation of God the Spirit. And so this is our goal. This is, as as Christians, this is is what our lives should be doing here. And you see also on that table that these are three themes of James that we'll look at in the next coming weeks and months. So mark number one, the first mark of an authentic Christian is someone that has a controlled Tongue. Someone has a controlled tongue. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives to his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now again, he also goes back to not just verse 18, but he talks about this is in verse, 20, uh, uh, verse 19. It says, let everyone be quick to hear and slow to speak. He's already introduced this to us. And so we need to be people who have a controlled tongue. And first of all, notice that he says the tongue is to be bridled there. That's what he says. The tongue is to be bridled. He gives the illustration of of a horse that is a very powerful animal, very strong animal, but yet you put a bit in their mouth, and with that bit, you can control this large animal. And later on, he's going to develop this analogy further in the next couple chapters. But here we have this, 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 uh, this, uh, um, command from, from James to tell us that we should be people who our tongues are bridled. And, in the present tense of this word seems to indicate that James is referring to a continual speech issue. And so he's talking about people who they have a continual speech problem or that they, they're not bridling their tongue day after day or that's, that's kind of the pattern of their life. He's not talking about someone who has an occasional misuse. He's talking about this is is kind of characteristic of him. He does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. We can make a lot of applications about this. I mean, we can think of lying. And we've redefined lying sometimes where it's stretching the truth or not being forthright. But we need to control what we speak or our speech and control what we say. This is the mark of an authentic Christian, according to James here. Slander, gossip, words with evil intent, um, inappropriate, joking. We could go on and on and on about how we could apply this. But the point is, he says, control your tongue. Now, notice he doesn't say silence it. Notice he doesn't say don't say anything here. He says, it, it's, he bridles it, he controls it. Because the tongue is very powerful and our speech is, is very powerful and we need to use our words. We need to speak and we need to communicate uh, and use what God has given to us for this. But controlling the tongue is so difficult. It's incredibly difficult. How many times have we felt the, the need to speak our mind about something. How many times have we felt that, you know, it, it's, it's almost like you have this battle going on in your head. I probably shouldn't say this, but my head is going to explode if I don't. So I'm going to say it anyway, right? Or, 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 or you just have this, this, this raging thing going. You say, it. maybe I shouldn't say it. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. All right, I'm going to say it, right? Maybe you're, you're in a discussion with your spouse, okay? And you're like, this would not be loving for me to say this, okay? I'm I'm just not going to say this. And then they say something to you. I'm not going to say this. No, I'm not going to go with No. And then they say something else. Okay, I'm going there now, (laughs) all right? It's not being controlled, right? I mean, you know there's there's been there's been multiple times i mean um you know just just yesterday just yesterday where where my parents are in town and um since since one of the kids isn't feeling well, they came into town to watch our kids at home <laughs> this morning. So they're home watching the kids. But uh, we were getting ready for them to come, and we're cleaning the house up, and, and, and we're trying to, to leave the house in time to get to the, the, the harvest of blessings thing. And, and you know, in my mind, I got this battle going on about different things and everything like that. And Anook said to me, she's like, you know, are you upset with me? And I said, no, I'm not. And um, I was going to say something else, okay? She doesn't even know this yet, so she's fine about this right now. Um, uh, uh, I was going to say something else, and then this passage came to my mind, okay? I thought... I got to preach this tomorrow. I cannot say this right now, all right? And so, so you know, and I thought, I was kind of, I was kind of you know, rebuked. I thought, now, was it because I was going to stand in front of people and preach this text that I'm not saying what I feel like saying, or is it because the word of God is changing me? I don't know. But we need to let the scriptures control us and influence us. The word, you know, what we say is very, very powerful. We may not be a murderer, but we can crush people with our words. We may not be a thief, but we can rob people of joy with our words. We, not, we may not be committing adultery in a physical sense, but we can tempt people with flirtatious speech. In short, controlling our tongues is a big deal. This is one of the reasons why James says if you want to be an authentic Christian, you got to control your tongue. Tongue has great power. Ephesians 4, verse 29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Do you see the words I bolded there on the screen there in that verse? Look at all of those things. Those are the, that, that's showing the power of words there, power of corrupting talk. It's, it's, but, but we should have building up so our words can corrupt, our words can build, our words can be used to give grace. Do you see the power of our words here and how we use our tongues and how we use our speech? And so this is one of the reasons why James is pointing this out to us. So the tongue is to be bridled. It's it's not to be silenced, though. So we need to use our speech for good. So Colossians chapter 4 says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. We are to answer people. We are to dialogue with people. We are to discuss. We are to speak with people. But we need to do it in a spirit-controlled way so that our words are used for building up. Psalm 1914, Let the words of my mouth the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Are your words acceptable in God's sight? Think about your interactions at work with your coworkers, with your boss, with those who report to you. Are your words acceptable and how you interact with them? What about your children? Are your words acceptable? Are your words acceptable to your parents and to your teachers? You see, this is what James is talking about. It says a person who is a Christian, a person who is an authentic Christian, he's not deceiving himself, but he has control over speech because speech is so powerful. And secondly, letter be in our outlines, it reveals our heart. It reveals our heart. This is the reason why it's so important because the tongue reveals the heart. James warns against deceiving ourselves three times in the first chapter of his book, of his letter. So here's the point. It's not just possible that we are deceiving ourselves about our spirituality, but it is probable. If three times, writing to a group of believers, he's writing to a group of believers here, remember this. If three times in the first chapter he says, don't deceive yourselves, don't deceive yourselves, don't deceive yourselves. I think we should stop and we should look at our own hearts and we should look at our walk with God and our relationship with God and say, am I deceiving myself? Because there's many times where we think everything's okay and everything is fine and, it, and, and we don't stop to consider things, but it, the reality may be that we need to do some serious repenting in our lives because we haven't stopped to look at what the Scriptures say or, or we know what the Scriptures say, but we're not working hard to apply them. And I think one of the examples that gives is the easiest is our tongues and our speech. It's so easy to use our tongues inappropriately. We all do it. We've all done it. We've all had to apologize for things we've said. But make that the pattern. Make that the pattern that you do apologize so the picture here is not of a, a conscious hypocrite here deceiving his heart. It's not someone who he knows that he is not what he says he is. It's, it's not like he's trying to go undercover and pose as a Christian. Or anything. That's not what he's saying here. It's not a conscious hypocrite. But it's of a self-deceived religionist is what he's saying here. Someone who actually believes that everything is okay. But they're not looking into the perfect law of liberty like verse 25 like we looked about last week says. They're not letting the word of God change them. And when people come to them and say, hey, you know, look at the word and, and make this be applicable to your life. And, and, and sometimes we put up fences around that. We can't do that. We cannot deceive our heart. John MacArthur said this. He said, the tongue is not the only indicator of true spirituality. But it is one of the most reliable If the tongue is not controlled by God, it is a sure indicator that the heart is not either. Now, some of you may be thinking, I have no problems with this at all. The reason why is because I'm quiet and I don't say anything. So my tongue is completely controlled. Well, you're not off the hook. (laughs) Because like Matthew says, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. You may not have the courage to say what you want to say, but it's your heart that is saying it. If we were to put a, a microphone to your heart and to your mind and thought process, what would come out? What would people hear? So even if some of you say, well, I, I'm quiet, I, I, just, I, just, I just keep it in, I don't say anything, the principle is still the same. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, like Matthew 12, 34 says, this is why we'll be judged by our words. Matthew 12, and th- uh, excuse me, 36 and 37 says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. That's a sobering verse. Sobering verse. We need to be, we need to be people. If we're going to be an authentic Christian, we need to be, have, have controlled tongues because it's a revelation of what is inside. That, that's the point here. It's gonna be spirit controlled, controlled by God. So think about this as we make some applications before we move on to the second point. Is this well, what are some trigger points for sinning with our tongues? Is it a difficult coworker who just needs to be put in her place? Or maybe it's the difficult child that has the same address that you do. Okay. Or maybe it's the teacher at school who nobody likes and is literally unfair. Everyone else is disrespectful to him, so why do you need to be respectful to him? What are the trigger points for sinning with our tongues? Think about that. What, 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 what are the temptations in your life that would cause you to sin with your tongue? So Let us apologize when we do sin with our tongues. Some people may say, well, I am just someone who speaks my mind. Not everyone needs to hear what's in your mind. And it's not an excuse for sinning with our tongues. I've joked before that I can't wait to be a senior citizen because then I can just say whatever I'm thinking and no one will stop me. But let me say this with pastoral love. Being old doesn't give you the license to sin with your tongue. Instead, be an example to us who are struggling how to control our tongues. Be an example of what that looks like. So let us forgive quickly. So we should, we should apologize quickly when we sin against our tongues. But let us forgive quickly as well because we all know the struggle. We all know the difficulty of it. So let us be quick to forgive. The second mark of, of an authentic Christian is someone who has a caring ministry. It says there, this person's religion is worthless. Verse 27, religion is pure and undefiled before God. And the Father is this. So whatever religion is acceptable to God, is authentic before God, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And so we have this idea of, of, again, it goes back to verse 22, of being doers of the word and not hearers only. And so what James is doing here is he's illustrating an important principle. He's not given a definite definition of what religion is here. He's not saying that, okay, in order to be religious, you've got to find every orphan and every widow, and you got to serve them. That's what he's saying. No, he is using this as an illustration of a principle of saying, we need to serve in such a way that is to people who are most vulnerable, and we need to serve in such a way to for people who cannot give us anything in return. Because I mean, what can an orphan, what can a widow give back to someone who serves them? The answer is not much. And so he's using this as an example for the principle. And we've got to understand when we approach the scripture, the Bible is not an encyclopedia or a manual for every life situation. Rather, it teaches us principles and how to live. James is giving us a, he's not, like I say, he's not giving us a precise definition. He's telling us what, what the, the heartbeat of our lives should be. So here's the principle. The love of God produces in us a love for others, even when they have nothing to offer us. Widows and orphans in their affliction. The love of God ought to produce in us a love for people, even when they have nothing to offer us. It's very easy to love other people when they have something to offer us. But what about the people who have nothing to offer us at all? This is true religion. This is what's acceptable before God. This is what's pure and blameless before the Father. So he's given us an illustration. Think of maybe the Good Samaritan story. The man, he helped this person. The Samaritan helped this man. The man could not give him anything in return, but he was showing the love of Christ, showing the love of God there. Now, when it says to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, what does that mean? Well, it, has, it, has, it means more than just popping in and saying hi or, or shooting the breeze with them. The idea is to, to meet needs, is, is the idea, is that, 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 that they meet the needs of the widows and the orphans in their affliction. And so look around you. There are many needs that need to be met. You don't need to meet them all, but let's meet some. You know, as I look around and I see in our city and I see in our world, I see in our church, needs to just need to be met. Honestly, it's overwhelming at times. We don't have to meet them all, but we do need to be meeting some. We do need to be meeting some. That's, that's the mark of an authentic Christian to have a caring ministry. 1 John 3, verse 17 and 18, they say, it says this, But if anyone has the world's goods... And sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Then you have a caring ministry. So what James is doing here is he's asking us to be like God. Like I mentioned earlier, he's asking for us to be like God. Psalm 68, 5. The father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. Psalm 146, 9, The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the the wicked he brings to ruin. And so we see these passages here that, it's, that this is what God is like. God meets the needs of other people. God, in the Old Testament, we have this, 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 uh, this description of God who, who we had uh, uh, foreign people coming through, aliens, if you will, and that they, he told the Israelites to meet their needs. And so he says "Well, the orphans and the fathers, I will be a father to them. I will be their advocate. These people have no advocates. And so the father says, I will be their advocate. Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 19. For the Lord, your God, is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner. We could probably say there, love the immigrant. Therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. All of us are sojourners. All of us is, you know, this is not our home and we need to love those who need advocates. You know, the, the whole immigration issue is complex. It's difficult. But I, I'm i discouraged when I read Christian's response to this. It's... it's, it's it's unchristian most of the time. Have, have a Christ-like attitude towards people who are sojourners. You can argue and say, well, you know, if they're here illegally, then you do legal. I understand that, and, and, and we need to do that. We need to try to follow laws. But unless you've walked in their shoes, you don't understand the complexity of this. It's not saying it's right. just saying, let's be Christian and try to help people instead of saying, you know, go back to where you came from. That's, that's, that's anti-God thinking. You see it right here in the scriptures. James has asked us to be like God. Have a caring ministry towards other people. So basically, James has asked us to be like God. We sustain aliens, widows, and orphans because he sustains aliens, widows, and orphans. God does this. The truth that we have should have serious implication about how we respond to the world around us. James asked, in essence, he says, did you in fact realize that the meeting of needs is not peripheral or optional, but is central and obligatory to your faith? So we need to meet the needs of those around us. So how do we do that? Well, let's think about it. in our county, there's a lot of kids that need foster care. That would be a, a, a way we could do that. Or that if we can't do that, there's big brother, big sister programs that we can get involved in. I think the church needs to be involved in more of these types of things. There's CASA court-appointed special, uh, special advocates for children who are in legal situations or their parents are in legal situations, and they need people to be their advocates. We have these options all around in our community. The church should be leading the way in these things because that's the mark of an authentic Christian. But even in our own church, we have opportunities. We have our, our Awana program where there are many kids who need people to, and adults to show interest in them. And we need more men to be involved in some of these things too. Because these, these young boys need, uh, oftentimes to come to our Awana program, they need good male influence in their life. And so we have some very practical ways that are staring us right in the face of how we can do this. So this is why feeding the homeless is important to me when we do that ministry. This is why we open our doors after a tornado and help people clean up, because it's the spirit of the Father to take the initiative to help the helpless that we saw in verse 18. So this is why we do these things. This is why we all should do these things in our personal lives and then collectively as a church. So we've seen two marks of an authentic Christian from this text, and our final mark, our third mark, is this. It's a consecrated life, or we could say a holy life, but holy didn't start with C, so I went with consecrated instead. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is personal holiness, and again, this points back to verse 21, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So we are to live lives that are holy. A consecrated life validates a caring ministry. Jesus is careful not to give the, or excuse me, James is careful not to give the impression that the path to pleasing God consists of just doing simple acts of service to other people, of caring for widows and, uh, widows and orphans in their affliction. He says, no, there's more to that. It's got to come from a heart that is holy, that has been changed by God, that God is leading you in this way. So caring ministry needs to be rooted in a consecrated life because this is what pleases God. Let it be a consecrated life means to have a healthy disposition towards the world. Now, again, this is in the present tense, which has the idea of an ongoing obligation for the believer. So we need to keep ourselves unstained from the world. So ask yourself this question. Does the world, is the world very attractive to you? And you know, one of the things when I was studying this, this text uh, or this chapter earlier, when we, when we were going to uh, verse 13 of chapter one, it says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. That phrase, for God cannot be tempted with evil, it was amazing to me as I, as I consider the ramifications of that, that there was, there was, there's never been a time where sin was alluring to God. There never was a time where, where God felt like sin would be a good idea. I can't, I can't understand that. I can't fathom that. I, I, can't, I can't put my mind in that situation or, or get my mind around that truth. Because sin is very alluring. So what of the world allures us? This idea of keeping ourselves unstained from the world, that's the same word that was used of Jesus in, in uh, 1 Peter 1 Peter 1.19. The mark of the authentic Christian is this, then that there is a continual pursuit of holiness. Continual pursuit of holiness. Now, we can have an entire sermon on the pursuit of holiness. But let me provide just a summary of it in one verse that I think is very helpful. This is Romans 8, verse 13. I put it on the screen. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. You see, we're talking about Spirit-led obedience here. We mentioned this in the Adult Discipleship Hour earlier, that we cannot obey unless it's Spirit-led, and we understand that. But the Spirit uses our will, and this is something that we need to understand, that, that we don't just wait for God to produce in us obedience. We, we, of our actions, we go to obey God, recognizing that the Spirit of God is leading us. So this is not an issue of stop trying and start trusting. This is an idea, an act of the will. Second Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish or at peace. So yes, we are to be Spirit-led. I do not deny that. We are to be Spirit-led in the process of holiness, but and we cannot be holy or live holy apart from God. I get that. But the Spirit of God uses the will of the Christian to will to do right, because he's changing the will. Because before we were believers, our will was bent towards evil and bent towards sin. But as God is changing us, what we need to do is we need to strive after holiness, like a lot of times we get uncomfortable by saying that because we don't want to make this moralism or we don't want to to make this about, okay, well, I'm just going to pull myself up by the bootstraps and, and go after this. And I understand it because that's a wrong approach too. But the Bible is very clear that we need to take willful action to live holy lives. And so that means you need to, of your own will, turn the TV off at times, or turn the radio off at times, or close the book at times, or whatever it is, there are sometimes we need to make very definite actions to live a holy life. I remember hearing a story, a, a, a pastor was saying that he was counseling another pastor who had committed adultery. He says, I don't understand it. And, he, and, he's, and, he's, and he's counseling this so the pastor, and the pastor who had sinned said, I don't understand this. I mean, as I was driving to her home, I was quoting scripture about temptations. I was quoting in, in, in the Greek because he had studied so much. He said, I, I, I was quoting it and quoting it and quoting it, and yet I still sin. How did this happen? This pastor that was counseling said to him, you didn't need to quote the scripture in Greek to you. You needed to turn the wheel of the car is what you needed to do. So sometimes we can, we can, we can get real spiritual and say, well, I'll, I'll just let God make me obey. Yes, we know obedience is produced by God, but there are times where that, that producing or what he's doing in our lives means that we need to take some definite action. So how are we striving after holiness? What are we removing from our lives? is bringing us down. You know, sometimes we look at all the big things, but maybe it's it's stop posting on Facebook for a while. Or maybe it's unfollowing some friends on Facebook for a while. I don't know what it is, but there there are very specific ways that you and I need to be striving hard after holiness. And again, we could preach a whole message on this idea. I recommend you Jerry Bridges' book, The Pursuit of Holiness, if you want to study this further. Excellent book on this topic. Jerry Bridges' The Pursuit of Holiness. So where do we find ourselves loving the world too much? How can we assess our own hearts? Because we've been told three times we can deceive ourselves here. So how do we assess our own hearts here? How do we know if we're keeping ourselves unstained from the world? It's a very complex thing because we live in the world. And, and, and the Bible tells us you know, that we need to live in the world. And so he, he's not saying that we need to remove ourselves and go live on a mountain someplace. That's, that's not the answer because we take our heart with us. How do we know? How can we assess? Let me give you three things real quick that I think is very helpful for you to kind of see where your heart is. I don't have them in the notes. So you can just, I don't have them on the screen. You can just jot these down if you'd like. Whatever we talk about, The most, we love the most. What do you talk about the most? What do you get most passionate about when you're speaking? Is it a sports team? Is it a type of computer, Mac versus PC? Is it a kind of phone, Android, iPhone? You know, people, they ask me, they know I, I like Apple products and I'm a Mac guy. And, and I think a lot of times people think I'm going to start, like, fighting about it or, or arguing about it and everything. And I always try to say, I'm not a Mac evangelist, okay? <laughs> Use what you want. I mean, I mean if, if you like things breaking down, go ahead. But, I mean, <laughs> I, you know, and so I try to get a little snarky comment in there a little bit. But in all seriousness, I don't care. I really don't. Um, what do we talk about? What do we get most passionate about? What are, when, when we're talking to people, what are we most informed about? I, I gotta admit, I, there have been times where I, I, I've talked with people and I've said, you know, we could be talking about occupation, we can be talking about family, we can talk about all these things. And then if I turn to the conversation, there's sometimes, and this has happened within the last six months, where I've asked someone who, who Christian for years, I've said, tell me about how you came to know the Lord. Well, um, my, my wife was a Christian, so I thought it was a good idea, and I became a Christian too. Been in church a long time. And I gotta admit, I, 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 was, I was a little heartbroken because um, I thought, I can't judge this person's heart. Okay, I can't. And I'm not going down that road. But I did think, you know, what we love, we talk about. So what do you feel most comfortable talking about? This can tell us if we've been stained by the world, I think. Okay? that would be one test. Another test that I was thinking of, how can we do this? Is Whatever discourages us, the opposite of that brings us the most happiness or satisfaction. So if someone doesn't approve of whatever you've done, does that devastate your life? Well, all of a sudden we start realizing that maybe it's possible that we're being stained by the world because it's the opinion of man that's more important. I, I don't know. When you lose something, if, if, if you were to, to uh, uh, what, what would rob you of your joy? Let me put it that way. If, you, if something were taken away, what would Rob you of your joy. What 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 is that thing? Sometimes that can tell us maybe where our affections are. And then the last one I thought of is, what do we cling to? Whatever we cling to, we value the most. What can we? What, what is it in your mind like inconceivable to live without? I just can't imagine life without whatever. Again, I'm not saying it's necessarily bad things. But there could be ways that our heart is going after the world. than after God and his word and knowing him, being satisfied with him, loving him, being thankful because he has forgiven us. We, brothers and sisters, we were dead in our trespasses and sins and he made us alive. Is that not the greatest news ever? That should bring us joy. We should talk about that. We should want to share that with people. We should want to have a caring ministry because God has cared for us. This is the mark of authentic Christian. It's not wrong to enjoy the things of this world. I enjoy my iPhone. I enjoy my iPad. I'm preaching from it right now. But if I lose this, it's okay. Because my joy is not and holding a product that has an Apple logo on it. My joy is Jesus Christ, and him and him alone. So, are you mark, I mean, do you have these marks on an authentic Christian? As one person said, I put it on the screen, this is what we should do. Keep your tongue in check, get your hands dirty helping people in need, and keep yourself clean from the filth of this world. That's our marching orders this week keep your tongue in check, get your hands dirty helping people in need, and keep yourself clean from the filth of this world. Can we do it? By God's grace, we can. Let's pray. Father, I pray that these are the things that we would do. I pray that we would live as a Christian of who we are in you. Help us to keep our tongues in check. Help us to get our hands dirty serving the people in need, and help us to keep ourselves clean from the filth of this world. We've could, we could have gone a lot of different directions with that, and uh, Holy Spirit, would you please drive these truths into our hearts individually of where we need to grow in this area, personally and then collectively as a church, and where we need to grow in these things. Father, I'm thankful for you. I just wanted to say thank you for taking the initiative to love unlovable people and to... Save them. Save me from my wretched sinfulness. I need you. My brothers and my sisters here, we need you. In the spirit of worship and thankfulness, we pray these things. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together. as